Matthew 13. Look down, way down in the chapter to verse number 53. Matthew 13 and verse number 53. <clears throat> the Bible says, And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, He departed thence. And when He was come into His own country, He taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished, and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom? And these mighty works. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now that might be one of the saddest sentences in the Bible. And he did not many mighty works there in his hometown because of their unbelief. Unbelief is a thief of blessings. And we're going to look at that for a little while tonight. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we need your power, um, guidance by your precious Spirit and what to say and how to say it. Uh, Lord, just your fullness. We need the boldness of the Holy Spirit and clarity of mind, please, and speech. We're thankful for the folks that are here. Uh, we just ask for your help. It's only you can give it and trust you for it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen and amen. Thank you for standing for the reading of the Word of God. Please do be seated. <clears throat> well, here we are. We're standing in Jesus' hometown, Nazareth. We're, we're in Nazareth. Uh, it was a city that was surrounded by rolling hills. It was very close to some major caravan routes of their day. And uh, we can almost imagine Jesus roaming the hills and talking to the traders on those routes. And now he's returned after being gone for some time, was teaching in their synagogue. And he brought up some questions like, where'd this guy get this wisdom? Come on, I'm paraphrasing what they said. Where did this guy get this wisdom? We know this, while Jesus was growing up, he had been trained in that synagogue, that very synagogue, and in his home, he is taught mostly by his father and by his mother, not from some well-known teacher that was there. He had not been to a university. He had no degree. He was just a carpenter's son. That's who he was. He was a son of Joseph the carpenter. And being the oldest child in the family, he would have helped his father in the family business. He worked alongside of his dad, learning to be a carpenter, learning to build houses and towers and barns and oxen yoke and whatever else they may have built back during that time. And no doubt he did the very best that he was able to do. He was probably a very good carpenter by the time that he launched out into his ministry at the age of 30. 
And we don't know the details, but it may have been that his father died while he was still there at home. So he would have become the head of the house. He would have become the breadwinner for some years after that. We never hear anything about Joseph, his earthly father, during the Jesus ministry here on earth. We really are not sure exactly when or what had happened to him. And he goes on to talk about his brothers and sisters here. It seems that he had four half-brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. And the sisters are never named, so we cannot really be sure how many of them there were. We do know this, though. They were all raised in the same home together. All the kids, they were raised there together. Jesus, of course, was the oldest of them all. He would have played with them just like any other child. Uh, However, being the oldest of the kids, he would have helped to watch over them too. Uh, I mean, being a help to his parents. And so his brothers and sisters, of course, they watched him grow grow up and they grew up with him. And apparently, where we read here, the folks in the crowd knew him. So he would have known them also. Um, No doubt, as he grew up, he was a good neighbor, don't you think? Come on, I mean, the perfect kid. And, And I would have to imagine that that his neighbors spoke well of him during that time. Man, I just can't believe Jesus is never in trouble. Has that kid ever get in trouble? I mean, has that kid ever been rude towards you anything? Oh, no, no, come on, I'm, come on. I mean, he was perfect. He was sinless, I mean, all the way up. And so he was a good child. And so they spoke well of him during that time. And the neighbor kids also grew up with him. Probably some of them were close friends. However, now at this place, they're rejecting him. The people that had been closest to him um, and that knew him well were now looking down on him. And uh, we can only imagine how hard that must have been. Well, how hard it must have been on who? Jesus. Come on, he was 100% man. Come on, we know he was 100% God. But he was 100% man. He had all the feelings and emotions and all those different things, yet without sin. We know that. And it had to be hard, hard on him. Because we know this without a doubt. He loved them. No, he loved all these people. The book of Luke tells us that they wanted to kill him. They had been his friends and he wanted to do so much for them. He came back home and and he wanted to help them. And and yet he could do nothing because of their rejection of him. So why the rejection? Well, we can see three reasons in this passage of Scripture tonight. Number one, they had no real understanding from where his wisdom or power uh, came. Uh, they, They didn't know. Verse number 54 And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? So Jesus had finished teaching the parables, and then he moved on back to Nazareth. And we're not... We're not told exactly why he came back. Excuse me, maybe it was just because of his love for his hometown. I mean, he knew these people, grew up around these people, probably had many dear friends there. 
And no doubt, as with others, he wanted to meet their needs. He wanted to help them. He wanted to go back and see if he could help some of these people that he knew the best. They were lost, just like, just like all the people he had dealt with up to this point. They were lost. They had no hope. They needed a Savior. These are people with whom he had rubbed so- shoulders for 30 years. 30 years. So he began to teach them. But they rejected him. And they not only rejected him, but they scorned him. Come on, out of what is said here in our Bible, we can get, we can get this. Who does this guy think he is? Coming in here and acting like that, so high and mighty, acting so high and mighty. Well, he was high and mighty. Amen. The Lord himself. But can you imagine the things that they were saying? Come on, I watched this guy grow up. He never had any more teaching than I did. It's just a carpenter's son. <clears throat> so, so what was the cause of such scorn? What was the cause of such spite? You know, sometimes inferiority can do that. I mean, Nazareth already had a strike against it, the town of Nazareth. Come on, all the time, Nazareth, what good thing comes out of Nazareth? I mean, it already had a strike against it anyway. It was a conquered city. The Romans despised it. Uh, not only were they looked down upon uh, by the Romans, but the rest of the Jewish nation cared nothing about the city of Nazareth. Many probably already felt like second-class citizens that lived there in, in Nazareth. In, inferior people often handle their inferiority by withdrawing or by acting with a strong sense of pride or by rejecting those who seem to be of a higher status. Familiar, uh, familiarity also breeds contempt. I mean, they had spent a lot of time around him, yet never really knew who he was. Or maybe some of them did not understand why God was using him and not them. Why is God using this kid, just a carpenter's son? You know, people can get to feeling like they should be lifted up. People can get to feeling like they should be looked up to by others. Um, They can get to feeling unlikable and unable and ungifted and underprivileged and they may sense being so worthless and so disadvantaged that they begin to act like it but that just comes from a wrong view of God because we're all special in God's eyes we have to remember that no no God is not a respecter of persons these people were wondering how in the world that some carpenter's son had such wisdom And no doubt they didn't want to acknowledge that he had come from God. But number two, the rejection may have have came because they were offended because of him. Verse number uh, 57, I'm sorry, says, and they were offended in him. They were offended in him. I don't know if I'm following you, preacher. Well, you know, people tend to look up to others because of different reasons, education, social status, successes, achievements, uh, maybe wealth or prestige, fame, position, or even their heritage, if they have some heritage, their family name. But Jesus was from an ordinary family. He's just an average family. He wasn't from any special family. And, 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 and we know that his dad, that Joseph was a carpenter. And Mary, she wasn't anything special. She was just a housewife and a mother trying to raise kids. And, and neither apparently was held in high esteem by the people of the city. 
So it doesn't seem as though the rest of the children had achieved any major successes in their lives. I'm sure that they were productive citizens in some way. I mean, I mean, you know, they hadn't, they hadn't, they hadn't achieved any more than any of the other kids with which they had grown up. So how could Jesus be anyone special? How come he's standing up there? According to Luke chapter number 4, he he had proclaimed in the synagogues to be the Messiah. But how could that be? How could he be the Messiah? Come on, we watched this kid grow up. Over in John chapter 1 and verse 10, the Bible says, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Jesus was rejected because people were offended by him. Offended. No, it's what verse number 57 says, and they were offended in him. The Greek, for, the Greek word from which the word offended comes from means a stumbling block. So they, they stumbled over him. They, he was a stumbling block. To them, I mean, I mean, they could not imagine that someone from their own city, someone whom they knew and had known from a child, could be the Messiah, could be the Son of God. We watched this guy grow up. He was a carpenter all those years, and now he's claiming to be the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Messiah. They could not imagine that someone who had been born in their own country and lived among them could be making the claims that he was making. I know we're talking about a man who ate and drank and worked and slept among them had no right to make such claims. That's the way they felt. This is crazy. But the biggest reason is simply because they did not believe him. They didn't believe him. No, no, verse 58. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. I really believe that this is the main reason that keeps people from coming to Christ. Unbelief. They just can't believe that He would save them, forgive them. They have a hard time believing in God as He truly is. They have this idea of who God is is or should be. Most people actually want to be their own God. Uh, They want to make their own decisions. They they want to run their own life. They, They want to plan and guide their own lives. And probably most never even really give God any thought, any real thought of who He is or what He could do. Or they like to think of him as just some higher power that is out there somewhere. I mean, they don't like to think about him being right here with us. And, 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 and they really have a hard time with putting him in the center of their own life. But God is here. But 
But people don't like to think about that because they don't really want to be too close to God. I, I, I mean, if, if He is that close, and, and, and if He really is God, then we'd probably really need to submit to Him and, and serve Him and, and obey Him. But most do not want to give that authority away. They like being their own authority. Making their own decisions. Running their own life. Doing their own thing. They like to think about being the master of their own destiny. They like to think of... Of, 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 of a way that they can create a God in their own liking. I mean, one that is far, uh, one that is far enough away that they cannot really know Him closely and certainly don't need to give Him any control over their life. I mean, yeah, He's up there somewhere and He watches over us. Yeah, that guy upstairs, you know, man upstairs. Come on, you hear that, don't you? By the way, that's pretty irreverent. But that's the way that people like to think about God. Not so close that He should have any say-so over our lives. They don't really want a God who reveals Himself. Again, that would mean that, that a God who created us would have to have authority over us. They'd rather just have a God who is out there somewhere. You know, one that's far enough away that we're just going to have to kind of guess what He would have us to do and how He would have us to live. I mean, surely He'll put up with this and put up with that, and surely He doesn't care if I do this or do that. I mean, that makes it much easier to come up with their own rules and guidelines um, by which to live their lives. Well, you might believe that about God, but I don't believe that about God. Look, it doesn't matter really what we believe about God unless it lines up with this. Most people want a God that requires no real attention. A God that they don't have a God that they don't need to give part of their day to. A God that they don't need to take time to listen to. They would rather have a God that uh, is just there when they really, really, really need Him. You know, like when something bad happens. They get themselves in trouble. Then they can call upon Him and hopefully He'll do something for them then. I'm not trying to be ugly. I mean, that's just the mindset pretty much of our society today. Those people that don't really truly know God. It's a mindset. Here's the bottom line though. Something you already know, but here's the bottom line. We have to choose. No, you and I, we have to choose. Do you understand? We have to choose. We either bring Christ down to our level or we surrender to Him as the only begotten Son of God. Are y'all with me here? Come on, He's either just one of us, a good buddy, or else He is the true Savior of the world. Come on, he's just, he's either, he's just either, you know, he just, Jesus, he's my buddy, or Jesus is the Savior. We have to choose. 
how we're going to see him. If he's just a man, then he's the biggest imposter that has ever lived. Ever. If he is just a man, he is the most terrible deceiver that ever walked the face of the earth because he claimed to be the Son of God himself. He claimed to be the Messiah. And if he is the Messiah, and he is, then he is our God. And he is our Lord. True. Well, I'm not sure I believe. Well, let me stop. Let me stop you. Unbelief hurts those that will not believe. Unbelief hurts those that will not believe. It hurts the people that will not believe. It hurts the people that want to make up their own God. Make God out to be who they want Him to be. It hurts them. They lose the chance to live the abundant life in this world and that, that Jesus wants us to live and the eternal life and world to come to some extent if they won't just believe Him on him as their savior. John chapter 3 verse 18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Unbelief hurts us more than we know. Uh, unbelief will hurt the believer's friends and neighbors. No, no, no. If we don't believe the way that we are supposed to believe on the Lord, that He is, that he is the Lord, that He is our God, I, I mean, it hurts, it hurts the unbeliever's friends and neighbors. Can you imagine the good that anyone could do for their family and friends if they would simply trust Christ as their Savior and then live for Him the way that the Bible says they should? Come on, it's life-changing. Not only for the one that, not only for the one that believes, but for those that are around them, if they're living the life that God wants them to live. Come on, because God left us here, didn't He, to be a light? He left us here to be salt. He left us here to make a change in people's lives as we share the truth of this book with them. Come on, He left us here for that case. But we have to believe. We have to choose to believe all of these things. And man, oh man, if that doesn't just make a big impact on you, just think about this one. Unbelief hurts Jesus Christ. It cuts him to the heart. I mean, he, he longs to give eternal life. He longs to help us through this life. And he paid the price for that on the cross 2,000 years ago. Your sin, and stay with me here. Your sin and my sin put him on that cross. And by his death and burial and resurrection, he paid our sin debt. He did that for you. And he did that for me. Come on, on a personal basis. Do you understand? Do you understand that when he was hanging on that cross, that he had you on his mind? 
We had me? Yes, you. Had you on his mind. Well, how in the world could that be? He is God. And he knew what he was doing as he hung on that cross that day. And he went through everything he went through for us. So unbelief hurts him. When he says to pick up our cross daily and follow him, he truly wants us to do that. He wants us to do that. And if we won't just believe that it's the right thing to do, it it hurts him. But just like here in Nazareth, he is often denied the right to be a blessing to those because they will not believe. You know, it's really something, isn't it? It's really something, isn't it? How, how there, there are those that seem to be abundantly blessed and there are those that, that, that just don't seem to be quite as blessed. And, and I, have to, I would have to divide it between those that believe and act upon His Word and those that maybe they have trusted Christ as their Savior but they will not act upon His Word after the fact. Because God's blessings come as we follow Him, don't they? Come on, somebody help me here. I'm telling you, I've watched it in the 14 years of pastoring here. I've watched it. I've watched those that have submitted to the Lord and watched them be blessed. Oh, I've watched them go through hard times, difficult times, stormy waters, all those things. But I've watched them come out the other side blessed. Because they continue just to believe God and trust God and act upon His Word and do the things that He has asked them to do. And I've watched them be abundantly blessed for it. And I've watched others that just kind of have a lackadaisical belief, which really is an unbelief that, I guess I could just say that, just have unbelief in what God tells us to do. And they're doing their own thing. They're being their own God. They're making their own decisions. They're ignoring what Jesus has taught us through His Word. And I've watched them not be as blessed. And I've watched some to the extent of really just being, well, way less than blessed. I'll just leave it at that. And I'm not trying to be ugly when I say that because it hasn't, well, I started to say it hasn't broken anybody's heart anymore, but it breaks my heart to watch it happen. Because all he wants us to do is believe and listen to Submit. Really and truly unbelief hurts everyone because God cannot work where there's unbelief. It shuts God out. It pushes Him away. It refuses to let God love. It refuses to, 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 to let God's power work. Our unbelief. I pray often the prayer of a man in the Bible where he, he cried out, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. I pray that often. I do. I'm not ashamed to say it because 
Uh, I want to have great faith one day. Hopefully I'll have greater faith than I do day by day as time goes on. But there are those times of unbelief, I may say. And I believe. I know that God saved my soul. Hallelujah. I know that God changed my life from the inside out and is still working. Very thankful for that. I've watched God change my wife's life and my children's lives. I've watched that. I've watched God change the lives of numerous people as I've been in the ministry now almost 30 years. I've, I've watched that. Thank God for it. And it's helped my faith. And being in His Word, of course, faith coming by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, that's helped my faith. But still there are times that's like, Lord, I pray these prayers, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Because without faith, it's impossible to... Please God, isn't it? And so by faith, we do everything we do as Christians, we do by faith, don't we? Come on, if we've ever been saved by the grace of God, we got saved by faith, by grace, uh, by, by, by faith, through grace. I, I, I mean, everything that we do. And, and so we have to believe. And we have to believe enough that we'll act upon what God says about how we are to live our life. It's been centuries now, of course, since Christ came to earth, paid our sin debt. And yet we know very well, living right here in St. Joseph, America, that there are many that have never been reached. Never been reached. Brother Mike was telling me that last night at the prison, three men trusted Christ as their Savior. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? Wonderful. I talked to Brother Jim Wolf from today. He preached down in Leavenworth, uh, Kansas today. He said someone got saved in service this morning. Hallelujah. Thank God for it. So, so thankful for that. But there's a lot of people that have never been reached. Isn't that right? Because there's a lot of people that continue to deny God because of their own unbelief. I'll just believe the way I want to. Well, I mean, you can, but what's well, going to profit you a lot more to believe this? And we know this, and, and this, is, this is quite the thought, but it's true. God is not limited except by our own willingness to believe. <clears throat> there's a lot of young people that never, uh, there's a lot of young people that miss out. They just miss out. Because they can't believe if they live the way the Bible says they could ever live a happy life. Come on, I'm not, pointing, I'm not pointing to people in here. I'm just saying there's a lot of young people that even have even grown up in church that can't wait to get old enough to get out of church because they don't think if they, you know, were to live the way the Bible says they could ever have a happy life. Man, oh man, oh man, this is just something. But if they would just by faith, <laughs> if they would just by faith determine to love God with all their heart and live the life now, uh, God could prove to them that they could live a very, very good life for the rest of their life by just following what He says. By just believing. No, no, if we truly believe, come on, I, I'm right at the end. If we truly believe, if we truly believe, we're going to act upon it. No, if we really believe it, then we're going to act upon it. And we're going to do. Come on, when I came to a place of believing that Jesus Christ died for my sin, mm, I acted upon it. 
as I read the Bible and God gave me faith to believe the things in the Bible, I acted upon it. And the things that I acted upon, God blessed me. Brother Joey, you know that very, very well. Many of you do. But if we're unwilling to believe, unwilling to act upon those things, we're just beating ourselves out of being blessed. Let me ask you a question. And I am right at done, but let me ask you a question. Because I have to believe that most sitting in here tonight are believers. They've trusted Christ as their Savior. So as a believer, do you have a... Mm, how can I say this? Do you believe enough to be trying to convince others to believe? I mean, it is supposed to be part of our Christian life, right? Amen. Well, preacher, I can't make anybody believe. I'm, I know, I know, we can't make anybody do anything. But we can uh, share the truth with them, can't we? Come on, there's not anyone in here that can't do that. We can share the truth with other people. And if you don't have that much belief, maybe you need to come to the altar tonight and cry out to God, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Give me the boldness and the wherewithal and the compassion to reach out to others. Because I can guarantee you this. Men, women, boys, and girls, God is still working mightily in the lives that, of those that will believe. Of those that will believe. Probably the well, most well-known verse in the Bible is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't it an amazing thing? <laughs> Isn't it an amazing thing that all we have to do to be saved is believe? No, if we'll come to that place of believing the gospel, God gives us eternal life just by believing. I, I, I'd have a hard time believing it if I hadn't already believed it. I still have a hard time believing it sometime, Brett, that he saved my soul. And He wants to continue to save people, but they have to believe. And He wants us to live for Him, but we have to believe. Unbelief robs us of blessing. Don't let it rob you anymore. Submit yourself. Believe God. Trust Him. And act upon His Word. And watch Him do things in your heart, in your life, in your home, in your family that only He can do. Don't let unbelief rob you any 
any longer. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet. Our heads are bowed. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have done all the work for us and you continue to do so as we just yield to you. Thank you for saving my soul and for saving many that are sitting in this auditorium tonight. And Lord, for those in here that are not saved, they've never truly trusted Christ, I I pray that you would convince them that that's their greatest need. But there's folks in this auditorium that uh, they believe, but there's still some unbelief. And they know that. And it's evident in areas of their life. And they know that. And so, dear God, our prayer now as we open up the altar is that folks would come and talk to you about that. Lord, that you would increase our faith. That you would help us to believe. That you would do those things in our life that only you can do. Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves before you tonight and to get from you what only you can give. Lord, bless now, please, we pray. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, piano's going to play. Many have come to the altar. You need to come. Why wait? Why wait? What's keeping you from being everything that you know Christ would, would have you to be? What is it? What is it that you don't believe that God could do in your life if you just let Him. If you just yield to Him. Why not let Him have His way tonight? Just yield completely. You'll not regret it. You may see things happen in your life that you never dreamed would happen just by yielding to Him. Whatever He wants you to do. Folks are praying there's still time. Let him have his way.